0: Greetings, explorers. Prepare to be assimilated. In this episode of Strange New Worlds, I chat with my friend, the historian, Jason Oka. And we do this via a subspace link. Jason is currently in Korea on a fabulous Korean language training fellowship from the Korea Foundation. And he called me randomly one day because he just had to talk to me about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery's second season, which at that point was episode 211, Perpetual Infinity. Naturally, I was just burning to talk to him, too. And when he called, he caught me in the middle of editing an episode of Strange New Worlds. So I asked him... Would it be okay if I recorded this conversation for my podcast? And he said yes. So, I had two big topics on my mind that day. The first was Section 31, which is one of dae favorite aspects of Star Trek, and which we have spoken about together previously on Strange New Worlds. In episodes 35, Shadows and Symmetries, and 51, The Sun Never Sets. Since those recordings, Section 31 has gone on to become a huge part of Season 2, and they're not just at the forefront of the plot, but also oddly at the forefront of all the characters' minds. No one seems phased by their existence. So, I'll ask Desun about memory-making and how a shadow organization can emerge and submerge from the consciousness of a society. The second thing that I needed to talk to Desun about was, is control the Borg? Because I totally think so. But he's not so convinced. So, we debated out for your. Listening pleasure. Ready? Let's bring some order to chaos. Hey, son. Hey, Michael. What's up?
1: I just watched that episode, and it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness! What a crazy episode. I would love to hear your thoughts about Section Thirty-One because I know it's one of your most favorite aspects of Star Trek, and the portrayal of Section 31 in Star Trek Discovery so far has been very different from the portrayal of Section 31 in previous incarnations of Star Trek.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I think when it comes to portrayal, and more specifically, I think I mean collective memories about how Section 31 is remembered in the Federation. Here in Discovery, it seems that Section 31 carries a lot of legitimacy within Starfleet, Um, and several admirals know about it, and its technology is used throughout Federation institutes. So that's, I think that's a very interesting and kind of cool point in regards to how collective memory is remembered or forgotten throughout the history and timeline of Star Trek.
0: Yeah, so we've seen Section 31 previous to Discovery in the Star Trek timeline speaking. We saw it in Enterprise, and then we saw it after Discovery in... Deep Space Nine. And in both of those instances, Section 31 sort of seemed very mysterious, and they didn't really answer to anybody. And most people probably don't even realize that Section 31 exists. But in... The discovery time period, it seems like, oh, Section 31, no big deal. Like, I know what that is. I've seen black badges before. And so what you're saying is that this storyline gives us an opportunity to examine how something that used to be in the shadows, the deepest, deepest shadows of the collective memory of a civilization could emerge out of that and then get buried underneath again. Exactly,
1: yeah. So I think because the fact that certain memories and things in, that happened in history can emerge and submerge as a process of becoming remembered and becoming suppressed, I think that indicates to the larger structure, the material structure of the society that the Federation is in. So what I mean when I say that is when we think of history, historians acknowledge that history is written by people who have access to the resources and the means to write history. And throughout history, that's usually been mostly people who were wealthy or powerful, who were educated and not only were able to write, but have their writing taken seriously by the institutions of their respective societies. But we see the same thing happening in the Federation, where we've seen a covert institution like Section 31 successfully being able to frame itself as illegitimate, as a way to kind of cover itself, but still operate within the shadows of society. Um, so I think that just shows that in a supposedly post-scarcity society where everyone has equal access and distribution of resources and the means to remember and document their own histories, certain histories and framings of memories are still prioritized and privileged over others.
0: That's really interesting. So who is writing the history of the Federation for its citizens?
1: Exactly, exactly. And and I think I w- we should also ask, like, why should there even be a discrepancy between citizens and historians when in a post-scarcity society, and in a society where, where we have all the means to write our own history, there should not be a discrepancy between citizens and historians. You know, citizens write their own histories, uh, their lives are documented, and, and collectively, in an supposedly equal societies, everyone's collective history is put on the same level. But It looks like in this case, there's a kind of hierarchy of memory, hierarchy of history that is being placed upon Federation society. And that, I think, shows, you know, I think Federation is not really as post-scarcity as we think it is. You know, we think of, you know, a utopia as having all the means to life. But I think utopia also means having an equal distribution to the means of writing our history and our collective memories
0: that's an amazing outlook that I have truly never had before. The Federation is a post-scarcity society in terms of physical things. Everybody has enough food, everybody has enough medicine, everybody has shelter. But in terms of the information, in terms of writing one's own history, not everybody has the same chance to do that because of operations like Section 31, like control, this AI that is always calculating things in the background, deciding what's important, deciding what the Federation's next strategic move should be, deciding who gets ordered here and there in Starfleet, probably deciding who gets what news feed to, you know, limit whatever the case may be. I don't know, like maybe there's some kind of dangerous outbreak of some disease. Is it? worth telling these citizens about it is it worth not telling these citizens about it it's kind of scary because we're sort of in that age nowadays where we do have AI that is helping us out and that is prioritizing what we see on our news feeds and social media and what we see first come up when we Google something right and it's 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 sort of the same same idea that algorithms are very present in our lives deciding, important aspects of our daily lives, although we don't actually see them do that. They can do that without our knowledge. And what you said about equal access to write one's history, that brought something else up to me. I recently saw an article in the New Yorker about archiving the Me Too movement, the hashtag Me Too movement, uh, which was a very powerful and revelational movement for for many people in this country and across the world and I thought of you when I read this article because you're a historian and it was all about how do we create a historical archive for something that was primarily built on social media which is by its very nature ephemeral and will just disappear and get buried in the various news feeds of the internet and so obviously people want to archive this, but who should do it and how should it be done? There is no real way to archive information on the internet because it's, it's so ephemeral. It can get rewritten, it can get deleted, it can get just buried. And so one would think that in the age of social media, we have the ability to write our own histories. But is that actually true? Um, is that actually true because of, of the nature of social media?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, if we think of like truly democratized history making, then we would have an archive space that is unlimited, you know, an archive space that is post-scarcity, but the archive itself is scarcity. And given scarcity, there's going to be certain institutions and people that are going to try to capture that scarcity for themselves. Or rather, they're going to capture whatever resources are available, given the scarcity that is presented by the archive. So if we think of the archive as also a place where it's struggling with scarcity, there's going to be certain individuals and people that are trying to maintain control of whatever resources the archive offers. And I think that if we understand it in those terms, we can see how history and the archive itself can in itself be a place where Certain memories are remembered because of the scarcity the archive presents. So in other words, there's a limited number of space in the archive, and there's an infinite number of historical events that happened. Who is going to place which items, which things that happened in history and our collective memories, into the archives? That in itself is prioritizing certain memories over others. And in doing so, you're going to privilege certain kind of events, opinions ideas and frameworks over others.
0: Right. And what happens when the archive itself starts to prioritize things and starts to have agency and starts to want more and more power? Because that's exactly what control is doing for Section 31. It is the archive, and it doesn't have a scarcity of material goods. It has all of the resources it needs except for information. It is trying to get this information from the sphere archive that will allow it to build itself and become even more dangerous. And that's what it needs. And um, I think this is just such an absolutely fascinating story because the the thing that this self-aware, very dangerous archive needs is not anything that is a material good, but is literally just more information for its archive. And it's hungry for that information. And it'll go to any length to to get it, (laughs) including killing people. It's very scary. Uh, Um, Fascinating. So how do you imagine, uh, if you were to write this story in the last few episodes of Season 2, or maybe the, the continuing arc of Section 31 in Star Trek Discovery, how would you imagine that Section 31 gets forgotten in the collective memory of the Federation? How would you write that story?
1: I can imagine perhaps Section 31, or rather Control's way of surviving when it becomes threatened. Like, let's say, for example, Control is on the brink of extinction. is about to be wiped out by the crew of Discovery, and it needs to find its way to survive you know, and be re-emerged maybe centuries later. I can imagine itself kind of framing its own death, framing its own collapse as a way of making people think that it died, making our main characters think that it died, and then allowing itself to be framed as illegitimate within Federation society, and then allowing its own history to be framed as a mistake or as a, an unfortunate kind of exception within an otherwise great history of the Federation. And in doing so, I think it allows itself to kind of survive within the shadows of collective memory. But the point is that it survives. You know, it's illegitimate, but it still survives nonetheless. And so that's how I I can imagine how Control would probably survive and reemerge itself centuries later. And then it would make sense with the overall canon of the Star Trek series because we also see in... Deep Space Nine, that this organization is still illegitimate, and it's like not even remembered by most of the characters in the show. But then we see Control kind of reemerge itself, maybe centuries later, through the experiences of uh, Dr. Burnham.
0: That's so cool. I really love that way of thinking about it, that Control... Will literally erase itself from the collective consciousness of the citizens of the Federation, the flesh and blood citizens of the Federation, so that it can essentially survive. It will convince everybody that, hey, I'm not even a thing anymore. I broke or something, or like I got deleted. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like all the admirals will think that. But that was just what control wanted them to think, so that they would leave it alone. (laughs) Sorry. That's a that's crazy. That's brilliant. Jason, you should write for Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> now, now Jason, I'm I'm a little bit worried at this point and we should remind listeners where we are in time. We are just after the premiere of the episode called Perpetual Infinity and in this episode we see Control doing some very nasty scary creepy things to captain leland the section 31 captain and my goodness they son you know your story for how section 31 gets buried into history is absolutely brilliant i think though that they're going in a different direction i'm getting hints of borg i'm getting hints of borg 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 yeah do you do you see the Borg in this too, because I think it's just so blatantly obvious that they're going in that direction, but maybe it's a faint and they're tricking me. They're tricking me as a longtime Star Trek fan, noticing little things that remind me of the Borg. Do you think the Borg and control are related?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, we've seen nanotechnology before that weren't the Borg. So that makes me think that it's probably not, but then I know at the end of the Borg arc in Voyager, they toyed around with the concept of like time travel, right?
0: Let me let me let me tell you the the hints that I got, and you okay. can tell me if I'm crazy or not, but Leland getting injected in his neck by mm-hmm. spindly tubules in which greenish nanoprobes were flowing. <laughs> Reminded me so much of assimilation. And right. then his veins sort of started getting dark. You know, that reminded right. me of assimilation. Right. Um, And then when he was down on that planet fighting Giorgio, and they were shooting him, and he seemed to, like, just regenerate his flesh very easily. We know that the Borg have quick regenerative powers. And I also was... Watching the fight scene between him and Giorgio pretty closely, because I like martial arts and I think that Michelle Yeoh is awesome, so I was totally engaged in watching their moves very closely, and I feel like he was getting better. In the fight scene as it progressed, as if he were adapting to (laughs) Giorgio's movements, towards the end, she couldn't even lay a fist on him. And at the beginning, she was like punching him all over the place and kicking him in the face. And at the end, it was all Captain Leland. I feel like no real human being gets better in the course of a fight. Like a a normal being just gets worse because they're getting beaten up but this guy is regenerating himself he's learning and adapting just like a borg drone would i i'm very it would take a lot of convincing for me at this point that this is not the beginning of the borg but i want to know i want to know from i've actually spoken through text to a couple mm-hmm. of other friends and they're like no nah, this isn't the borg you're crazy mike what do you think dyson
1: you know michael i think this is just <laughs> Other AI technology and.
0: <laughs> you too? <laughs> <laughs> i This can't be the board. <laughs> like, okay, okay.
1: Maybe like assimilation technology is kind of similar throughout different civilizations, and maybe this is how assimilation just looks like, and it. it's not necessarily pertaining to a board. <laughs> it can't okay. be the board. That's... That's
0: too much, Michael, that's too much. Um, I I just look so much like the Borg, and I can just see a future in the next couple of episodes where they're going to fight Control, they're going to defeat it, but they're going to defeat it in such a way that it sort of slips back in time, because we know that time travel is a big part of this story arc, and they're going to defeat it to the extent that it doesn't really remember what it's doing, except to just assimilate things and to get more information and to take the individuality and the consciousness and the intelligence of other beings in the cosmos and add it to itself. Just like control, all it wants is information from that sphere. All it wants to do is take that sphere's identity and make it itself And if that's the little nugget that is left over in control after it's defeated by the Discovery crew, I feel like it's the Borg. It's just, it's gotta be. (laughs) Is it really? Is it really the Borg? (laughs) Okay, okay.
1: Look, look. Actually, okay, to give you some credit, like, yeah, like when Dr. Burnham, the mother, her hideout's like in a planet 50,000 light years away. That's like Delta Quadrant, right?
0: it could be yeah yeah that's so
1: maybe like her the place where she's hiding could be connected to the Borg um yeah like you said like in a fight in an ensuing fight the Borg gets sent back like a thousand years ago and then from there the Borg is born as like a broken program of control that's trying to heal itself
0: yeah. oh what if Dr. Burnham becomes the first Borg queen yeah but okay <laughs> I can see on your face right now that you're just not buying any of this <laughs> okay
1: okay do you think so I don't know dude I don't think it's the Borg I can't like it just happens to be assimilation technology that's just similar okay let's take let's take bets Michael you want
0: to take a bet okay if control is the Borg
1: if control is the Borg I give you a full course of sushi okay
0: if it's not then I'll buy you sushi okay sounds good yes why do you yes. have that smile on your face? You think you're going to win or something? Because
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting my stomach ready for sushi.
0: <laughs> that concludes episode 66 of Strange New Worlds. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with historian De Oka. I love talking to Dayson because he always opens up new ways of looking at the world, showing me vantages that I just never experience as a scientist. What is history but the memories that we choose to preserve? But who gets to choose those memories? And can those memories, and thus the history that we regard as truth, change over time? Potentially, Section 31 offers us a glimpse at that change in action. It's just one more way in which this fictional shadow organization makes us think critically about society and morality in our daily lives. Now, I want to know whose side of the sushi bet you're taking. You can tell me on Twitter, at MikeY, that's M-I-Q-U-A-I, And please, if you're enjoying Strange New Worlds, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. You know what they say, resistance is futile.
1: you're like incepting my mind now i'm having doubts no it's not the borg. i'm sure it's not the board okay <laughs> oh my gosh